you like to know secrets? Does it feel kind of special when someone says, I want to tell you something that no one else knows? Now, I knew someone that used to always say, no, this is a secret, but they had already told everyone. That, that didn't mean much to me, okay? In fact, it got to where every time they'd say, now, I'm going to tell you something, but I've not told anybody else, I always thought, right, okay. But this morning, we're going to talk about a secret that was literally kept for thousands of years. Imagine that. People that even were in the know weren't in the know. Now, do we have anybody in here that has a security clearance? I'm just curious. Anybody? You do? Okay. You do? All right. Our son-in-law has been trying to get his security clearance for quite a while, and they are backlogged because... They run these checks, and they check with people that you know, and they check with people that know the people that you know. And it gets to where they want to know, are you trustworthy enough to know? There is top secret, there is secret, and there's confidential. Today, we're going to study something that was kept secret for 4,000 years. And in fact, as we've studied the book of Ephesians together, I was so excited to get back into the book again with you. I've enjoyed the Christmas texts, but it's so fun to be going through the scriptures together and studying them and seeing what it has to say, especially about the church. And as I got into chapter 3, to be honest with you, I was a little confused because chapter 3 is almost a parenthesis. And so as we read this together, Paul's going to start into a statement in chapter, in chapter 3, verse 1. And then he's going to take a rabbit trail. Now, it's a divine rabbit trail, so it's a good rabbit trail, okay? But he's going to take a rabbit trail, and actually, as we saw once earlier in the book, he is going to put together this incredibly long sentence that goes from verse 2 through verse 13. And so he has all these things that are put together in pieces. And as you read it, if you get a little confused or maybe lost in this winding of the trail, please don't be frustrated, but just work really hard to lock back in again because the truths that are here this morning are wonderful truths. And they're very important truths for us as a church as we begin to look at what should a church be like. In our Constitution, you're going to find something called Doctrines of the Church or Ecclesiology. This is a foundational passage for ecclesiology. Usually it's not listed in the Constitution because usually the Constitution puts the practical things about ecclesiology, what we believe. This is how we began. All right, so if you're looking at a photo album of the church, this would be the old black and white picture, maybe of the oldest looking farmhouse with people in, in the old clothes standing out in front with dust roads in front of them because it's the very beginning of the history. That's what this is this morning. This part of God's plan was specifically designed to be released by a man named Paul. 
And therefore, as you read what Paul says, I hope it will put more meaning into it, and we won't try to read our culture into the text, but we will read the culture of the text as we do it. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 3 in Ephesians. For this cause... Now, it's been a couple weeks since we read chapter 2, but chapter 2 is really important for you to understand what the cause is. For this cause, he's been talking about how, remember, you were dead in trespasses and sins, and this is what we were, but this is what we became. And then he has this glorious prayer for us that we would come to really understand what God has made us to be. We aren't just something along the line of everything else. God made us unique and special. And then Paul says, for this cause, for what cause? For what I just told you about in chapter 2, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, just so that you keep in together here, what I want you to see is we're going to look at how this secret impacted the Apostle Paul. We're going to look at how this secret impacts the Gentiles. We're going to look at how this secret impacts angels. And we're going to look at how this secret impacts us today. So we're going to look at these four areas today. The first one, how did this secret from the beginning of the world impact the Apostle Paul? All right, diving back into this, he says, I'm the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Paul was a prisoner because of this mystery. Now, whenever you hear the word mystery in the scriptures, it's talking about a truth that up to this point had not been revealed. It had been kept secret. That's where we get this idea of a top secret that God reveals to us. So this secret impacted Paul in a, in a mighty way. If you would look at chapter 1, verse 1, notice what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus, and even or even to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I've got, I've been given not only a special message of the gospel to give out, I have been given a very special message that you need to know. And it's a secret that Adam didn't understand. It's a secret that David didn't know about. It's a secret that the kings never knew about. It's a secret that the people alive during Jesus' day did not understand. And Paul says, this is my purpose in life. God gave me a specific task, and I'm going to be faithful to that task, no matter what it costs me. Now what happened was, as Paul began preaching this secret that we talked about in chapter 2, which some of you are at a disadvantage right now. As Paul was speaking about this secret, it made people very angry. It made people angry because the secret was this. God, from the beginning of time, had always planned that the Jews and the Gentiles would become one. That there would not be a class that you had to be, it used to be up to this point, if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a follower of God, you had to become a Jew. 
And the Jews had become very proud of this fact. God selected us out of everyone in the world. Therefore, we are better than everyone else. And Paul began preaching, no, that's not the truth. Jesus Christ, when he came, he broke down the barriers and he has made us one. To the Jews, they were blessed by God based on obedience. To the church, the blessings of God are always there based on Jesus Christ. Our sinfulness sometimes alienates us from using those benefits, but God never removes his spiritual blessings from us. That's an important truth. Today, you can't work harder to be more blessed by God. You are blessed by God because you are in Christ and the blessings come from Christ. So today, someone says, yeah, well, I dressed a certain way. I did certain things this week. I gave a certain amount. I stopped and helped somebody who ran out of gas. Therefore, I obviously am in line for more blessings this week. And the answer is no. You have everything in Jesus Christ. And that made the Jews very angry. And so when Paul came and he was... Paul was gracious and Paul was gentle. And when he went to the temple, he didn't break the temple traditions that were there. But the reality was the Jews thought he did. And Paul, writing this from Rome, was imprisoned because of the Jews. And sadly, it wasn't just because of the Jews. Believing Jews also really struggled with this idea of, you mean the Gentiles don't have to become believe, don't have to become Jews to be included in the body, and that made them very angry. And in fact, if you were to read Galatians chapter two and you would read Acts chapter fifteen, you would find Paul stood firm on this truth. He never budged that they should go back and become Jews and follow the Jewish culture to be able to become a believer. And James. Finally, after all the different pastors of that area had talked and the apostles had talked, James says, look, Paul's right. This is the way it is. And that tells us something about the church today, about how we receive people. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later in our message today. Paul had grown up a Jewish, in Jewish, Jewish orthodoxy when Christ saved him. Paul knew all of the Jewish background, and that made it especially difficult for the people. Because in the providence of God, when Paul got saved, he went to a Jewish Gentile church in Antioch. He didn't just go to a Jewish church. It was a blended church. It was a church, well, really, blended is not the right term, because in Christ all are one. And you know, over the years, we've struggled with that. We struggle with that. We don't struggle with Gentiles and Jews because although we see a lot of Jewish hate in our community, even in churches, but the reality is people have always looked at someone who was different than them and said, no, that one we need to be suspicious of. It's only the people that are just like us that we would like to have in our group. And this truth, this mystery that Paul was defending had landed him in jail 
And I want you to notice as we continue to read, he says, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. Now the word dispensation there has the idea of stewardship. A steward is someone who works for someone else and they've been given a task. And the word dispensation has the idea of stewardship. It comes from the idea of house law or law of the house. You ever play a game and they say, well, we're playing by house rules. You ever play by that? What that means is we're playing by my rules. Jesus and God, in giving us the church, he says, we're going to play by my rules. And all through history, we play by God's rules. Now, God always has had salvation the same way, but God has, has had different eras where he would say, this is the way we're going to do things. And then he says, okay, now we're going to do it this way. And now we're going to do it this way. And in this dispensation, Paul says, we have come to a new stewardship. I've been given a stewardship of the way we're going to do things. And specifically, we're looking at when he talks about grace here, we're not talking about grace in general. In this term, he's using it very specifically. And he's telling us, he says, I have been given this stewardship to tell you about something. And it's how God has worked for you today. Look at verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery... As I, write, as I wrote afore in a few words. What he's telling him is, and we don't know if he's referring to the book of Romans, if he's referring to some other snippet in a book where he addressed it, but just briefly, he says, now I've told you before in just this little bit, now I'm going to tell you in a much more full term, here's exactly what God did. The mystery of the church was the fact that God had always planned for Jews and Gentiles to become one and for the church to become a lighthouse of the unity that God always intended from the beginning of the world and Satan never saw it coming. That's what's fascinating about this. When you think about it, he says, he describes salvation here briefly for us. He says, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. He says, I want you to understand, I didn't get this from anyone else. God gave me this. And earlier you would find Paul talking about this. Paul says, I didn't go and confer with other people. He went out into the desert. He took his Old Testament manuscripts with him. He had the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ directed him and showed him this mystery which had not been told before. Verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto the holy apostles and prophets by the, scripture, by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Now right there, you remember in chapter 2, he has to talk with them, and he says, now remember this. If you've been saved now for a little while, if, you have been, if you've been enjoying these blessings, it's easy to take them for granted. It's easy to begin thinking, well, I have some merit. I'm important. And we can become proud, and we can become difficult in churches. 
And we begin to look down on other people who aren't exactly the way we are. And so in chapter 2, leading up to this grand revelation in chapter 3, he says, now remember, you were dead. Remember we talked about how many levels of dead are there? You're dead. Now, we have different levels of decay. We look in our society and we have different levels of, of stink in our society, don't we? Some, some levels, the decay has really gone deep. Other levels, they don't look so bad yet. They don't smell quite so bad. A little perfume, they, they kind of are tolerable, but they're dead. And sometimes we get pretty comfortable with the fact, well, I don't stink as bad as someone else. And so we begin in the church to tolerate the not-so-stinky and look really down on the stinky. And he said, no, remember this. You were dead. And the only way you're alive today is that God supernaturally put life in you. And he says, now that you've got the right attitude, he says, now I want you to notice this was never told in the, in the ages before, verse 6, the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, of the same partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. The first thing he's saying is everyone gets saved the same way. Everyone gets saved the same way. How did, how did this new truth impact the Gentiles? Well, it impacted Paul because it totally consumed his life. He did everything he did, and it cost him greatly to do what God called him to do. To the Gentiles, it meant that now, for the first time, they didn't have to become something to be a Christian. They could become a Christian in Christ alone. And if I could just encourage some of you this morning... Sometimes we begin to say, I'm just not good enough. I don't know how I could ever be good enough to get saved. What I want you to see is they were struggling with that. Well, we think for you to get saved, you've got to do this, and you've got to demonstrate this, and you have to demonstrate this. And if you're not circumcised, and if you aren't doing all of the laws, then you obviously aren't serious. And look what he says here. He says, no, not anymore. That's not the way this is played. He says, in Christ. So today, if you're struggling with this truth and you're saying, I would love to get saved. I just don't think I, I could ever get there. What I want you to know is Christ got there for you. You can be saved because of Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It's not about you, which strikes at our pride this morning. Because you see, I stand here a preacher of the gospel not because I'm anything good, but only by God's grace. You see, I'm the same as you. Paul, in talking to them, helps them to realize something. He says, we are all the same. Look with me. He says, wherefore, verse 7, I was made a minister. You see, Paul was a prisoner for, the, for this new secret, for the gospel. Now Paul is a minister of this secret, according to the gift of the grace of God, which was given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of the saints. Here's what I want you to notice. Paul's saying, by being one of God's, we have been empowered 
If you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior today, you are empowered by God to do what He calls you to do. You're not second class. This didn't just apply to Paul because remember what Paul said in verse 8? Look again there at the beginning of the verse. He says, I am the least of the least. I'm the lowest of the lowest. In other places, Paul says, I am least... I am less than the least of the sinners in one place uh, of the saints. In another place, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, I am the chief of sinners. You see, when you come to church, you don't come to try to measure up. However you've chosen to dress, you've chosen to dress not because of us, I hope. Whatever you do, you dress because this is what you want to do for God. You have nothing to prove here this morning. Paul says, I was a murderer I'm the least of the least, but now I'm empowered. That tells us today you are empowered today. You are on the same level with Paul. We are all the same. I do not know why Paul chose to use the name Paul rather than Saul. We could say, well, one was Hebrew and one was Greek and okay. But I do think every time Paul used his name, it was a reminder because Paul means little. He was born and given a name that would cause him to be proud, a king. But it was changed to Paul. There could be any number of reasons. I personally believe one of the things that stood out in Paul's mind was every time he heard his name. He remembered, it's not me. He must increase. As John the Baptist said, I must decrease. My name means there's no one like God. Every time someone says my name, it's a reminder it's not about me. It's about my God. Let's keep reading. Verse 9, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which is from the beginning of the world, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. What I want you to notice is, he says, God had planned the church from the beginning. The church is not an afterthought. The church isn't because Israel blew it. In fact, no matter what happened to Israel, whether they were taken captive, whether they were scattered, the dispersion, they were wherever they went, they were to be a light. That was always God's plan for the Jews. God always had the plan from the very beginning of the church. The mystery of the, the fellowship of the church, which from the beginning of the world, look verse 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. How did this mystery of the church impact angels? These principalities and powers. Paul's going to use that term again in chapter 6 when we come to the practical side. Chapters 1 through 3 are all the doctrinal foundational pieces of the church. And then he gets into chapter 4, 5, and 6 and tells us how what these foundational pieces impact us in the way we live on a daily basis. 
Here he's saying, notice to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. God's plan impacted the angels. The question we would have to ask ourselves is, why did God keep his secret about the church hidden for so many centuries? Why didn't God in the Old Testament talk about the church? Certainly throughout the Old Testament, we find that it states that Gentiles will be saved, beginning with Abraham. And in thee shall all nations be blessed. Remember, Simeon, when the Christ was brought before him and he was holding it, and he says, this will be the light for the nations, for the world. The message has always been for the whole world. It's not just for the Jews. It was this mystery that the Spirit revealed to Paul and to the other leaders of the early church. The Jews and Gentiles would, be, would form a new creation, this body. It was the mystery that Paul revealed. And the, principal, the principalities and powers, God is educating angels through the church. To the good angels, those who have not sinned, to those angels, they were amazed. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. You see, the angels were amazed at what God was doing, but I want you to notice, what about what are the evil angels learning about this mystery about the church? Their leader is Satan. And Satan doesn't have any wisdom. Satan all along has been trying to defeat God. He's been trying. He could see how the Jews were rejecting the Messiah. He's seen how Gentiles have rejected the Messiah. And they have thought they were winning until all of a sudden, at Pentecost, we find the church... And Satan says, I didn't see that coming. How all people are brought together. How all people can bring praise to God. You see, Satan had the scriptures. Satan could know that the Savior would come. Satan could know when he would come, if he read the scriptures. Satan could know how he would come. And where he would come, Satan also understood why he was going to come to redeem. But nowhere in the Old Testament did we read of the mystery that Jews and Gentiles would be brought together. That they would be united into one body. And the angels see the foolishness of Satan. And Paul is saying, you back up and you get a big picture of what's going on. And the church has such a blessed but important position in the way God is going to be revealed. He goes on and he talks about now, he says, verse 12. Uh, let's go back to verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him, 
Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. How does this mystery of the church impact us today? You see, God deposited these important truths in the 